Welcome to the Yang Gang Roundtable, an ongoing discussion of basic income and electoral politics. I am your host, Shale. And with me, I have just four UBA advocates today who will introduce themselves in their own voices now. Um, let's see. So Jacqueline joins us again. Hi, I'm Jacqueline Homan, and I live in Erie County, Pennsylvania. You don't have to say your, uh, your last name. Just your first is fine. Okay. I'm Jacqueline, and I live in Erie County, Pennsylvania, and I'm 52 years old. I'll be 53 next month, or Thank actually you. two months. Thank you, Jacqueline. And Jeremy joins us, I think, for the first time. Yes, sir. Yeah, my yeah. name is Jeremy. Uh, I am 32, and I'm coming from St. Louis, Missouri. Thank you. It's nice to it's nice to meet you. I like your accent. We don't have anyone with with that accent. <laughs> well, thank you. It's very distinctive, so everyone will be will know it's you for sure. Um, going down the room, we have Zach here as well. Yes, hi. I'm Zach. I'm 31, and I live in Austin, Texas. Nice to meet you, Zach. Thank you for joining us. Uh, my my name yeah. my name is Shale, and I am your host. And we will now begin the formal roundtable segment of this podcast. I have two prompts. Uh, I will read them each to you. They're each about the coronavirus and each speaker will respond for two minutes in turn. And then later we'll have an informal discussion. So topic number one, the coronavirus has taken the world by storm. Let's talk about how it highlights the need for universal health care and basic income. It's a very broad topic. I'm sure we've all read a lot about it, thought about it a lot, thought about it a lot. Um, Jacqueline, I'll start with you. Okay, well, uh, first, the coronavirus, which they still don't know a lot of things about yet, um, is highly contagious. A person can be infectious uh, without even being sick and before even displaying symptoms, and that's what makes it so dangerous. Um, it also has a weird way of attacking the, the body. The, uh, it, it attacks the body the same way that Ebola and HIV does. That is, it attacks a human protein called furin. Okay, now um, where th this would uh, really be mitigated by UBI would be if people, more people had the ability to stay home at, without it being at risk of losing their home if they're fortunate to have one. Uh, many are not. Many in our country are homeless. Um, but the UBI would, would, would mean that you could at least keep food on the table and a roof over your head. Even, you know, if, if you couldn't go to your job, um, because all the people that uh, went and, and got this virus and brought it back, people that were taking vacation on cruise ships, which is basically how the virus came here. OK, people that had been traveling abroad, either for work uh, or business or, you know, uh, study purposes uh, that then came back to this country that, you know, came back or people taking a, a two-week uh, vacation on a cruise ship that, you know, docked port at, at one of the infected, you know, countries, came back. You know, there were, I think, one or two cruise ships that, that did. That's how the virus came here. Now, all those people have had to come in contact with other people after they got back, okay? They had to come in contact with people who don't have the ability to take off of a minimum wage retail job or fast food job or barista job or, you know, in, in a newest case now in Chicago, a teacher's aide uh, who, who got sick and, and risked, you know, an entire uh, school full of, of medically fragile disabled children, you know, put them at risk and, and other 
professionals in the school of this disease. Now, where UBI would, would really come into, into play here is that anybody who had been in contact with, you know, another person who had been infected with this virus would be able to stay home because the way a virus is able to spread is from, it jumps from host to host, right? Thank you, Thank you Jacqueline. That's, that's exactly right. Um, Jeremy, let's move on to you. How does coronavirus highlight the need for both universal health care and UBI? Yeah, well, I think just like Jacqueline um, was speaking to people who you know, simply can't afford to miss a day of work. Well, you know, they're, they, they work in probably our most, um, what would you say, like uh, most, at, most highly at risk type occupations to spread the virus. So yeah, uh, industries like, uh, like food work, um, medical care, um, along those lines. Uh, also, with our food supply, uh, just, just think if, uh, if somehow the virus entered our food supply and spread via that way, oh, my God, it'd be disastrous. Um, but also, um, folks like our 1099 gig employees, our Uber drivers, our Lyft uh, drivers, you know, these people, they can't afford to take a day off of work. So they're still going to be interacting with the public. And um, I think it just goes to show how impactful and how beneficial a UBI would be for for everyone, especially those that uh, that need it the most. And, uh, Thank you. Thank you, Jeremy. Um, Zach, would you like to respond? Yeah. Um, so first, uh, I'll quickly <coughs> touch on UBI. Um, universal basic income would overall just make us so much more dynamic as a society. Uh, we would be able to self-quarantine uh, without as severely feeling the financial repercussions so when we have a virus like this that is spreading from person to person, we would actually be able to, in a lot of cases, utilize the technology of the 21st century, that is Zoom media or um, uh, not media, but the, um, you know, we'd be able to have more virtual conferences and more people working remotely um, without um you know, we would be able to, uh, more people would be able to take a day off and not feel the financial repercussions. And we also have a lot of, uh, um, I mean, I suppose you'd still be getting your regular paycheck if you're <laughs> doing uh, meetings through Zoom or whatnot. But even if you're not, my point is the UBI will help a lot of people who are self-quarantining. And on universal health care, there's a lot of people out there who don't have health insurance. And because of that, they, they're uh, not going to go and get tested because they can't afford it for the copay so even if they they're feeling a little bit sick you know they might be thinking oh it's just a regular cold cold it will be gone in a few days which very well could be the case but you know when we have an epidemic like this we really need as many people we need everybody to get tested if they feel like they're a little bit under the weather i mean we have a separate problem with the lack of testing kits which is a completely separate issue but they are being produced you know we are getting more and more tests by the day we should have everybody uh going to their doctor to get tested and that's really hard for poor people in areas like mine where there's no public transportation uh, or very little public transportation to get to a doctor. I mean, I live in what's considered a medically underserved area. You know, um, when people can't walk five miles or seven miles one way uh, to the cl closest uh, place to get a test, or maybe even further. 
you know, UBI that's would certainly help with that. Yeah. UBI would be such a godsend for that. For so many um, people. I see Ariel, one of our other speakers has joined. Ariel, uh, if you'd like to unmute your mic and join the conversation, uh, Angelo is absent from today's group. So if you'd like to take his place, you are welcome to. If you'd like to comment on uh, the coronavirus and how it highlights the need for UBI and universal health care. I'm not sure if you are ready to speak. I don't know if your mic is, is working or not, but I see you're here. Anyway, um, not to put you on the spot. <coughs> I just assume <laughs> that if you're hanging out, you probably could unmute your mic. Anyway, um, let's move on to our second prompt. And Ariel, if you are listening and you would like to join, just jump in. Uh, oh, okay, sure. Yeah. I okay, just, great. I, Good. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. So, Ariel, why don't you take the place of Anth- of um, yeah, Anthony is uh, is absent. Is Anthony supposed to be? I think it's Saturday. Yeah, Anthony is, is is missing today. So why don't you take his place? Um, would you like to comment? Uh, How does just, the coronavirus highlight the need for universal health care and well, UBI? Oh, well, obviously, the most obvious example I can think of is just uh, um, like if, if, if a food prep worker isn't getting a UBI and they're sick but they need the money to pay for basic necessities, there's going to be a lot of people getting coronavirus in a lot of restaurants. So that's just something to ponder on. Absolutely. Absolutely that. You know, I've, I've heard that mentioned many times. Not just and, restaurants, but supermarkets. Yeah, all the underpaid, you know, sick, overworked people are, are perfect disease vectors. <laughs> it's going to be... It could be a real disaster. Um, it already is a disaster. But so let's let's move on to the second question, which is still about our topic, rather, which is still about coronavirus. Okay. The pharmaceutical industry is not incentivized to develop cheap vaccines continuously. How do we address this? Let's start with you, Jacqueline. Oh boy. Well, um, I don't know of a way that it can be addressed using just you know the free market because if the free market as we know it is is going to you know turn this into a profit seeking venture then that means that there'll be entire segments of the population that won't be able to get the vaccination uh, it won't be affordable not for somebody whose income is zero not for somebody without health care who has a low income um you know we we would basically need this to be an exception to you know, market solutions. There are certain areas, you know, like a, the government is supposed to make sure that society, that, you know, our, the, our country is safe. That includes safe from a pandemic. Um, that's where you would need the government to step in, but the government would have to, you know, would have to be a competent government. Do you really want somebody like Mike Pence to come in and think that, you know, he's just going to pray this thing away? Or do you want somebody like, you know... Um, you know, uh, uh, Andrew Yang, who has enough, you know, uh, education and background in science and data to know that, no, we've, we've got to defer to science on this. Actually, in Iran, they're, they're doing exactly that. They're trying to p- pray it away. And we think that we're so much smarter in advance, but do the same thing. Yeah, are they really? I mean, that is yeah. the first I've heard of that. Um, thank you, Jacqueline and Ariel. Uh, Jeremy. Yeah, that- 
the uh, the prime minister, I think it was, admitted, uh, this was a while back, I learned this from watching a, a show on the paranormal about the jinn, otherwise known as shadow people, okay? Um, or shapeshifters, if you're, you know, coming at this from a Native American perspective. And the jinn are, you know, considered, you know, in, in many Middle Eastern cultures to be, um, you know, beings, mostly evil ones that were created from, um, you know, smoke or something like that. Anyway, the prime minister of Iran had admitted to, you know, summoning the jinn to take care of Iran's enemies. And I thought, okay, uh, that's, that's interesting. That's very strange. With the- uh, yeah. And I thought, wow. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. let's, let's talk about that more in the open discussion. I want to keep this on track for now. Uh, Jeremy, could you respond to what can be done to incentivize the pharmaceutical industry to develop cheap, continuously available vaccines? Hmm. Well, I think the question kind of makes it sound like that there's not a a global effort to find a vaccine. Um, I think that would be kind of scientifically disingenuous. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure some of the... Well, well the, 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 the prompt is what can be done to incentivize the creation of cheap vaccines continuously? Ooh, oh, gotcha. All right. Well, if you somehow remove remove the the profit motive from it altogether, that would be probably the only way. Well, I guess uh, remove the profit motive and also um, a, a an outreach of education on why vaccines are important in the first place. I mean, there's thank uh, you. Thank I you. Mean, <laughs> well, I mean, here in America already. I mean, for it seems. My God, been like a decade going on now. The whole anti-vax movement, and I mean, I'm not sure if it's building steam or if it's finally slowing down. People are coming around to it, but I think just uh, where we are as a society right now, we just don't know who to trust, who to believe in, or you know, if, whether it be our institutions, our media, our scientific community. I mean, look at the, uh, the uh, there, there's still a huge rift on whether or not global warming is is real or, or say climate change now is real or not. Um, so it's uh, we got a lot of work ahead of us, and I'm not sure if there's one simple solution to it. Well, a lot of this has to do with the hidden injuries of class. Yeah. Okay, and I'm going to give you an example of what I mean, you know, for our listeners who are not familiar with that term. Um, a lot of the, the people who are mistrustful of medical professionals, for example, or any other, you know, professional person in the professional class, if you've been mistreated and abused by people who look like or who are representative of members of the upper middle class. And that would include doctors and and the people that we really do need to be deferring to in the case of a pandemic. And I think we all agree on that. But the problem is, is when you've got a lot of people who, you know, are poor and who have been mistreated by the professional class, they're not likely to trust anyone who looks like those who have abused them and you know it's a guilt by association thing the whole the whole thing of you know lay down with dogs wake up with fleas yeah it's like that you know um it's like that and i i know this because i talked with other rural poor people where i live who won't get their kids vaccinated for measles and and stuff because they don't trust the professional community there's this big divide between the haves and the have-nots and a lot of the poor just you know, they don't trust people from the professional class, period. And the way they have been treated is Thank why. You. Thank you, Jacqueline. Uh, Zach, would you like to comment on what can be done to incentivize the pharmaceutical <laughs> industry? 
to create cheap vaccines? So I think as a whole, we need the government should be spending more on um, on research and uh, almost in a way subsidizing the uh, the pharmaceutical industry. I think whenever we're talking about healthcare, a lot of attention is always put on the insurance part of it, which is, you know, what, uh, which is the coverage that people pay for. But the reason why that is so expensive and always getting more and more expensive is because the, the drugs themselves, I mean, there's many reasons, but one of, one of them is because the drugs themselves are very expensive to produce. You know, these pharmaceutical companies, they pay, Sometimes it costs billions of dollars to develop a vaccine. Um, and we could be talking about coronavirus here, but we could talk, be talking about any other vaccine out there. Um, it's expensive to do research and uh, conduct trials and develop vaccines. So if the government was working close, more closely with these pharmaceutical companies, it would help drive down the cost which would then in turn lower the cost of health insurance for people. I, I don't know. I don't know if, if um, vaccines or new drugs are always that expensive to develop though, because when you look at who initially developed insulin, okay, they didn't spend a fortune to develop it and they made it, you know, available for free because they didn't want anybody in the world to suffer preventable amputations, blindness and death from diabetes complications. Well, I think I think insulin was developed by accident, if I'm not mistaken. It was developed by by two researchers up in Canada. They sold the patent for a dollar to a university in Canada, who then sold it decades later to the United States. And from there, now we instead of having, you know, that's why there is has been such a push for Medicare for all or for universal health care, because, you know, you've. 30 million diabetics alone who are suffering, who can't afford, you know, healthy food and their diabetic medications, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know if that's an outlier, but I do know that overall it's very expensive to develop, to develop new drugs. And if we just had a a mechanism to drive down the cost of development, insurance companies would be. we We should really look at anything and not have our wheelhouse empty. Yeah on this. I mean, it's just too important. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah I think you're totally right. And um, I mean, didn't it, wasn't one thing that Andrew kind of uh, focused on was that the majority of uh, drug research does come from public funding. Some of it does. I'm sure. Um, I know the national Institute of health uh, does play a role in that. Um, but I don't know how much, and I, I wouldn't go as far as to say the majority of funding comes from the government. I don't think that's the case. I'm also not the most knowledgeable person on this topic, but um, whatever it is, you know, I think I think government should be subsidizing to a higher degree uh, when it comes to new vaccine development, new drug development, particularly on um, when you're talking about diseases where there's not a lot of people out there that have the disease. Because that, that creates a situation where there's not a large market for these drugs, even though these could be I- incredibly damaging, you know, potentially life-ending diseases we're talking about. If there's not a large market for it, then there's no incentive for the insurance, I mean, for the drug companies to develop something. 
Right. right. And that's an excellent. Yeah. That's an excellent point. I think you know, if, uh, like currently in the United States, only only around like forty percent of people get a flu shot every year. So even let, let's say they do come up with a coronavirus vaccine, how many people are going to line up to get it? Hmm. Well, that's be- the reason why only forty percent get the flu shot is because that's all who can afford it. Well, there's that, right. but with the flu shot, there's a lot of people like I don't get the flu shot, there, and there that's that's more because I just I'm not going to be I don't want to be injecting my body with something every single year, you know. Right. Um, I have but, to get it because I'm I have you know diabetes is an autoimmune disease, so my immune system is much weaker than an, a non-diabetic, so I have to get vaccines like the flu shot. So I don't get pneumonia and, and die because that's who suffers the most is people who have um, chronic illnesses that are a pre-existing condition that already weaken the immune system. And that would include people that, that are not just diabetics, but it would include people who have lupus, uh, which is another common chronic disease, or people who have um, other types of autoimmune uh, disorders. Before we get too far off track, Ariel, would you like to respond to the prompt? Oh, the Ariel yeah, here. sure. Okay. Uh, um, How just... can the pharmaceutical industry be better incentivized to create available cheap vaccines? Hmm. Uh, I guess just <laughs> what, like, um, they, they, they could be funded by taxpayer dollars more because I think that they already or overcharge so that's you know one thing that i think that the majority of their funding can come from you know uh instead of giving it to the military maybe give it to them you know make make, what what's the point of having the defense of our country if we don't even have the defense of our health (laughs) that's a great point can't defend our own people from dying from poverty what is you know (laughs) What the hell's the point even having society for that matter? <laughs> right. Yeah. All right. Um, well, this is the conclusion of the roundtable portion of our recording. We've gotten through the prompts and we're actually just about on schedule. So we're going to take a five minute break here. And then we're going to come back at, at uh, 12.03 and reintroduce ourselves in the same way because it's going to be another half hour long podcast. The second half of this recording um, will be a different podcast. 